Uh, Mark 16, 9 to 15. If you don't have it, it's here on the screen. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. She's the woman whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterwards, he appeared in a different form. The two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he, Jesus that is, appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he, Jesus that is, said to them, and through them he says to us, Go, everybody shall go, into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. Lord, use all of me, in spite of me, to work miracles in our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today as we kick off this series that I'm entitling Go, I thought uh, before we go to share the good news, which is really about the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, I thought that we might just do a little reflection, if you will, uh, regarding uh, the song that Vince just rendered. Do we really believe that God loves us no matter. The other day in my kitchen, we have an electronic photo album that's on the wall. And I was doing then what I often do is sit there and watch the photos of my family and friends and staff as they just kind of rotate through. We've got hundreds of them on a, on a stick there. And as I was watching those photos... Uh, rotate through, and uh, they're going to throw some of them up on the screen. Uh, it dawned on me that there is uh, a connection between the photos, uh, the pictures that we have in our minds, and our ability to both give and receive love. As I was thinking about these pictures, all these different pictures, they created these feelings in me, the sense of warmth, sense of connection. And as I was looking at these pictures, I was also thinking a little bit about the message today, and it also dawned on me that the pictures that we have in our minds about God, goes a long way to influence our ability to both love God and receive love from God. All right, you can end those pictures. See the Warriors? That's, <laughs> I was there at that game, by the way. I just want you to know I was at that game. I was at that game. <laughs> Somebody shout, love! <laughs> love the Warriors. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I wonder, can I invite you to do something? I, I want to just help me with this, would you? 
I wonder if you would, just for a moment, if you, if you would close your eyes and take a deep breath. And then if I said the word God, I want you to, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do this. I, I want you to kind of think about unfiltered. When you hear the word God, what's, what's the first feeling that comes? And then if you had to capture that feeling with one word, when you hear the word God, what would that word be? So everybody, all eyes closed. Let's just do this. A couple of deep breaths. Kind of relax your heart. God. Is there a feeling that pops up? What is that feeling? God. What's the word that comes to your mind as you try to capture what you feel? What's the first word that jumps in your mind? You identify with. God, with your eyes closed, what do you see when you hear that? God, a picture. Open your eyes. I think that if we're honest and we get rid of the, what I want to call the church political correct stuff, Right? And when I ask you what picture you see of God, and you give me the answer you think you're supposed to give me because you're in the church. I, no, no. I think it's illuminating, if you will. If you just, and you, you might want to go home and try this at home. I, I rushed through it. I encourage you to go home. This is a part of your homework. Go home. Take about five, ten minutes. Just, just quietly. Just settle yourself. Think about God. Just write. What are the words that come to your mind? I, I think this would be illuminating. Because remember, our pictures of who God is has a direct effect on our ability to love and be loved by God. I'll prove the point to you. If you have a spouse or a significant other or a child or a sibling, and if they are at the source of pain for you, if, if, if they have wounded you, and when you think about them, when you see a picture of them, if the first feeling that comes to your heart is a sense of hurt, a sense of pain, a sense of woundedness, even though you may be living in the same house and sitting at the same table, I'd be willing to bet that there is a huge gulf, a big distance between you and that person. Emotionally. It's hard to engage in love when there's a lot of pain. Let's just shuffle through the pictures, will you, with me? What are some pictures that we have of God in this room and listening by video? Well, I think one picture that we have of God, some of us, is what the philosopher calls a transcendent, which means we, we, we use words like non-personable, personal. Unrelatable. 
remote, distant. That God is beyond our ability to touch with our hands, with our hearts, and even with our thoughts. And for some of us, with our prayers. We, if the truth be told, we just don't believe. We think that God might answer prayers. We just don't think he answers our prayers. You see, God, is, is that your picture? Just, just be honest. Could, could that be your picture? It's okay. For some of us, the picture is captured by what philosophers call immutable. The word that comes to mind for some of us is unchanging. But in contemporary context, we, we do something different than what the philosophers do, that word. For us, when we think about God as unchanging, we often think about God as being rigid, inflexible, out of date, un, not relevant to our lives. Could that be your picture? Could it? I'm, I'm trying to get away the church political correctness now. I'm just trying to, trying to get you to surface. What's, what's your picture? For some of us, the picture of God, when we pull back everything, when we're fully honest, the picture that we carry of God is God as the angry judge. When we think about God, we think about one, a picture of uh, short fuse. We think about uh, God as one who's always, always, shout always, always angry, always judging us, always seeing the flaws, the sin, and what we do, and what we say, and what we don't do. And that's our picture of God. As a matter of fact, we have never imagined God, some of us, with a smile on his face. We think of God as being stern-faced, so hard to please. Is that your picture? We can't step together to the next step until we really unearth what's your real picture of God. I'm talking about the picture that you carry with you. Some of us, the picture of God is that of an absentee parent. That when we needed God, he wasn't there. When we needed God to save, to heal, to deliver, to help the grandmother, to preserve the divorce, to stop the bankruptcy, God was nowhere to be found. God is the picture of God, if we just was honest. It's this absentee parent. This is unreliable. Well, some of us, the picture of God is, uh, is uh, that God is the figment of human imagination, not real fantasy. It's not, a, not a large, but, but there's a percentage of us, we think of God that way, and that God is kind of the source of everything that's wrong in the world, that, 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 that how people have used religion to cause so much pain and manipulation. But that's kind of our picture of God, just... An unhealthy figment of imagination. But I think for many of us, 
Listen to this. For many of us, the picture that we have of God is just really confusion. It's just a block. It's just a kind of a blank space. I mean, if you ask Jesus, I, I really don't know. I can't really quite make it out. Because our experiences help to shape our pictures of God. And, and of course, some of our experiences have been shaped by being wounded in church or religious contexts and people that we've trusted who've had been people of faith that have broken our hearts. And so it just have left us just kind of just, if, if we could just be honest, just, just be honest, just kind of left us confused. A big challenge here today is I'm just trying to get you surface. What's your real picture of God? He invites us to bring his picture, your picture. Now, here's part two of your homework. I encourage you to go and over the course of this week, just put on your calendar about 10 minutes. This is going to be your reflection about God, 10 minutes, right? And, 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 and so five of those minutes, I kind of want you to do what we just did and write about who you see, who God is to you, real, honestly. God's the source of pain, write that. If God is the source of confusion, write that. If there's positive attitude, write that, right? And then I want you to reflect on what the psalmist picture of God is in Psalms 103. And I just, just, just pick it apart, just take a little bit each day over the course of the week. Just, reflect. just take 10 minutes to do this exercise. How many minutes? I can't hear you. How many minutes? Ten. All right. Now let's, let's see what is the psalmist. Psalms 103. It paints a beautiful, this is a remarkable picture. And, and in a moment you're going to see why it's remarkable given the context in which the psalmist is writing. He paints this amazing picture. And I'm going to start this reading, New Living Translation, at verse 6. And here's what the psalmist says about God. He's painting a picture of God. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord shall Lord. That means the covenantal God, the one that I have a relationship with, gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Wow, is that your picture? He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Okay, here's his character. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the picture he's painting of God. Come on. Slow to angry, angry, slow to get angry and filled with an unfailing love. Does that match your picture? He's painting his picture. He will not constantly accuse us. So that voice that keeps accusing you and reminding you of all the bad things that you've done, that's not God, according to the psalmist. That may be you, may be your mama's voice, may be your husband's voice, may be your daddy's voice. It's not God. Nor remain angry forever. That may be your spouse, not God. <laughs> he does not punish us for all our sins. My goodness, some of us think that I'm in bad, I'm in trouble today because God is punishing me for all my sin. The text says, no. Life may punish you. But, but, but God is not even, 
not close. He, he does not deal harshly with us, at least as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins. Listen to this. He has removed our sins. I know you're thinking about him wallowing in your sin, but he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. My goodness. The Lord is like a parent to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, have a relationship with him. For he knows. This is my favorite part right here. I love this right here. For he knows how what? Weak we are. He knows. He already knows. Ask the person next to you, are you weak? Ask him, are you weak? Tell him God knows. God knows. God already knows. He already knows. Whatever your weakness that you're trying to hide, or whatever the weakness is that you think disqualifies you, whatever the weakness that shapes the filter through which you see God as this angry, unpleased God. No, the text says he knows how weak we are. I love this part. And he remembers, shout remembers. Come on, that means that God, it, the suggestion of remembers means that God had to reflect about it. He had to think about it. He kind of meditate about it. In other words, it isn't a great thought to think that God actually reflects on you. He thinks about you. He's thoughtful about you. And when he considers all of your stuff, the text says, he cuts you a little slack. You know why? You know why? Because he remembers we. You see that word? Say it with me. Say we. Say to the person next to you, that includes you. Say that. Say to the person on the other side, that includes you. Come on. Come on. Find somebody. Say, oh, by the way, that includes me too. We're part of the we. We, we, we. He remembers that we are but this would be something really great to remind your spouse of when she or he is telling you how terrible you are. Say, look, you ought to be like God. Just remember, I'm but thus. <laughs> the actual Hebrew word is, is, is even more powerful than that. It's mud. And yet he remembers that we're so much more than mud because Genesis 2-7 reminds us that God, you know, shapes dirt and mud into a form of humanity and he breathes himself into that dirt. He breathes himself into that dirt. He breathes his love, his life into that dirt. And so yes, he remembers that you are but mud and yet you're so much more because he, the, the very life that gives you life is from him. That's the psalmist picture. Isn't that an amazing picture? Now, I want you to compare that picture with whatever your picture is. Now, the context is helpful. Everybody shout perspective. Shout proximity. Our perspective of God matters. Here's the context for this. When we read Psalms 103, we usually read it without a recognition that it is a part of a group of psalms. So it's best read by starting with Psalms 102, then 3, then 4, and 5. Now Psalms 102, get this, is where it gets rich. Psalms 102 is the psalmist writing. And the first 12 verses in Psalms 102, go home, read it, write it down. Go 
go home and read it. Use the New Living Translation. And you'll discover that the first 12 verses, the psalmist is really talking about himself. The psalmist is basically describing himself as a young man who is sick. He thinks he's going to die any moment. He's been ostracized, or rather quarantined, if you will, from the rest of the community. And while he's talking about his own self giving way to some unnamed disease, at the same time he's describing the city of Jerusalem that has just been overrun by the Babylonians. And the walls have been torn down, and the temple, which symbolizes the presence of God, has been torn down. And all of the, all of the most productive people, quote-unquote, have been, had, uh, had been taken to Babylon. Probably this young man along with them. And yet, when he comes to the end of the psalm, he has no evidence by looking at the environment, by, by listening to the news, he has no evidence that Israel will survive. He has no evidence that he will live and survive except for what he knows about the character of God. Come on now. And so when he reflects on the character of God and when he remembers the promises of God that God has made to the nation of Israel based on God's character and God's promises, he declares that God will deliver us. Oh, there's an insight right there. There's a blessing for somebody right there. When you're looking at the news and you have no evidence that things are going to get better, you're looking at your household affairs, no evidence that things are going to get better. You're looking at your bank account, no evidence that things are going to get better. That's when you need to lean on the character of God. Come on now. Who God has revealed God's self to be and the promises of God and declare God is a deliverer. He's a way out of no way. He has not forgotten me. He's working his work. All right. Psalms 103 then is written at least 70 years later. Shout perspective. Sometimes you just have to walk. You just can't judge God about based in one moment. You, you, you just can't make a judgment about the totality of an eternal God based on what God does or does not do in one season. Seventy years later comes Psalms 103. The guy who thought he was going to die has become an old man. The, the country that has been annihilated and taken to Babylon, well, that country has now returned to Jerusalem, the walls are being repaired. The temple is going up. And the Babylonians, by the way, who captured them, they are now about to be overrun by the Persians. And so this psalmist, with the benefit of perspective, shouts, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his Benefits. What are his benefits? He forgives me of my sins and heals my diseases. Come on now. Renews the productivity of my life. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now you read that and you say, well, he hadn't healed me of my, 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 my diseases. The psalm is not talking about your disease. About his, this is his personal testimony. All right. Now, let's see, can I put it? Shout perspective. It's all about 
perspective and proximity, whether I'm close to God or not. Notice working through this psalm is the word Lord. Everybody shout Lord. It's the covenant God. That's, that's the psalm that knows him personally. He says God is relatable. Some time ago, I got a call from one of my former elders and members. Her name is Millie Abaye Thomas. And she called to share with me how she was in the middle of a crisis, which I had been praying with her about. She was in her early 40s, and she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. With two beautiful kids, a great husband, tremendous career. And she had the additional tests done, which reveal that even if she had a double mastectomy, the likelihood of the cancer coming back was high. So she, this is her here, she decided to have double mastectomy and the removal of her female organs that would give her the best chance. She called me in the middle of this, right? See, right in the middle. And she said, they called me Rev back then in Boston. She says, Rev. She said, people have been asking me, why is my face so strong? And they've been asking me, why do I think God loves me so in the midst of this crisis? And she said, Rev, a sermon that you preached helped me to give him an answer. Now, I'm ready to shout because I, this is a sermon I must have preached 10 years ago or more. So anybody who remembers anything that I said <laughs> 10 years ago <laughs> and found it helpful, come on now. It can be exciting, but is it helpful? I'm like, wow, tell me what I said. <laughs> she said, she said, Rep, she said, in the message you preached, I'm going to phrase it the way I'm, I'm using my words here. You said there was a connection in understanding God between sociology and biology. So what do you mean? She said, here's what you said. You said that God created all of us human beings, and then he gave us free will. And sometimes we will use that free will to do things with our bodies and our minds and our relationships that is opposite to what God intended. And when we do, we create crisis and pain and hurt and destruction, and yes, sometimes even death. She said that was a sociology, but the biology is you went on to make the point that God created our biological cells with the same freedom. And every now and then the cells that grow in a context of freedom, come on, the, 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 the DNA strands, every now and then they decide to act in a way that is inconsistent with how God designed them to act. And we get cancer and disease. It's the brokenness of life inside of the freedom of life. So she said, so I said to people, this is not what God did to me. This is life working itself out in me. I said, 
wow, that was good. That was pretty good. <laughs> I said, what about the love piece? She said, she said, she said, here's what you said, Pastor Reverend, in, in, the, in the message. She said that you said, and I used to always preach this for sure, especially in Roxbury. She said, you said that God is not God because he always delivers us, uh, rather keeps us from a crisis. He's not God because he always delivers us from a tragedy. He's not God because, because if we know him, he creates an escape route from trouble. But he's God because, because he doesn't deliver us from trouble, but through trouble. He doesn't keep us from tragedy, but while we go through tragedy. Come on now. And he proves that he is who he says that he is as he takes us through it. He honors his his, his character to be compassionate means he won't let us go. To be merciful and graceful meaning he'll never turn his back on us. I was reflecting on this a little bit uh, in between messages and, and, and PT helped me with this. This is a little preaching moment, teaching moment right here for some of us. We don't actually want that God. Let's just be true. We want the God that fixes the thing. <laughs> we want the God that stops the cancer. We want the God that heals us. We want the God that keeps the dysfunction from happening in our family. We want, we, we want that God. That's the God we want. That's the God we want. And I'm here to tell you that that's a figment of your imagination. Because that's not who God is. Because you're trying to relegate God to a moment in time, to a season in time. But God is operating on an eternal plan. Come on now. And you've got you've to be able to trust God for who he is and that he knows what he's doing. Trust him that somehow. She said, Rev, Billy said to me, come on. Shout perspective, shout proximity. She said to me, uh, you know, I saw God show up in a million different ways through the people who loved me, the people who cared for me, people who carried me back to treatment. And when I was finished, I thought on my last treatment day, I thought I was damaged good. I would never be useful for anything else. And on the day after my treatment, I got multiple calls of people asking me to engage my consultant business. She said, that was God. So as I close in this last minute and a half, I've talked to you about what your picture of God is. I've talked to you about what the psalmist's picture of God is. So let me ask you, what is God's picture of God? And it's in Colossians 1.15 that we learn that his son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So when God says that, if you want to see who I am, look at my son, Jesus. If you want proof that I exist, look at my son, Jesus. And watch Jesus showing up in a religious context breaks all of those old false perceptions. He shows that God is compassionate as he healed the sick and raised the dead. He shows that 
God has a love that is unfailing as he lifted women from a status of property to personhood by how he treated them. Come on, and how he touched the leopard. He showed that God is a God of, yes, both justice and mercy as he died on Calvary's cross to live out the justice part for you and me so that he could offer us mercy. He proves that he's God because death couldn't keep him in the grave. Mark says on Sunday morning, he got up with all power and the folks saw him, multiple people. And finally, when he got to the disciples, he says to them, uh, 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 now I want you to go. Shall go. All right, here's the, here's the meaning. I've got to finish here. Colossians says that Jesus is the first born of this new creation. That means with Jesus, a new photo album of God starts. And if he's the firstborn, then we come after him. And it means that we should be the kind of people who go back into the, into the world, back into our families, and we too present a picture of God, not perfect, that people can know that God is compassionate, that God is merciful, that God is a God of justice, because of how we live our lives for Jesus. That's what Be Rich is about. That's what we're about for the next several weeks. Give God a hand praise. Thank you very much.